Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. I want to update you very quickly, if I could, on Lottie Moon. Um, We have already announced, if you have not already heard, that we went well above our goal of 51,400. We really blew it out of the water. And people still gave last week. We're still accepting that money. It'll be a few weeks before we send it off. You can still give it. People will send in some last week to the mail. And we are currently over $90,000 given towards Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So now I'm going to put a bug in somebody's ear or maybe your heart right now. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm simply stating fact. We are awfully close to supporting two missionaries full time. So you do with that as you please. I want to give you an update from the field because as we put these things out, we had heard back from some of the people that we work with and know very closely. I want to read two of them uh, specifically to you that commented about our Christmas offering. Thank you, Rosemont Baptist Church, for your sacrificial gifts to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Your giving makes it possible for our family to live in Zambia, plant churches among the Tonga people. Because of your gifts, we have a house to live in, a vehicle to drive on rough village roads, curriculum to homeschool our children, Bibles and tracts for evangelism, and so much more. We simply could not fulfill the call God placed on our lives without you. May God's favor be poured out on your church because of your obedience to give. How exciting to see your willingness to increase your goal and to watch the Lord multiply those efforts. We pray many other churches are doing the same, and we continue to pray that the Lord would send more laborers into the field, maybe even even you. Sincerely, James and Marcy Langston, who are in Zambia. And then one other from um, a girl some of you met. She came one time. I'm, I'm not going to give her name, just kind of for her, uh, by her request or where she is, but she's in a very difficult, closed country. I got this, like, after we posted on Facebook, like the very next day, private message. Last night... The sound of explosions reminded me how desperately the people of this country need to hear the gospel. This morning, the post about Rosemont's Lottie Moon Christmas offering reminded me of the faithfulness of God and his people. Please give a big thank you to your church from the field. So you need to know that what you're doing is uh, not going unnoticed. People are blessed by it and will continue to be blessed by it. And I want to ask you to do something as we think about missions One more time before I begin our sermon this morning. Our partners in South Asia, many of you you met them during our missions conference and they've been around several other times and at the church on and off. They are traveling back to South Asia here in just a couple of days. And on Tuesday night at about 11.55 local time, p.m., so Tuesday 11.55 p.m., they're set to land back in their home country and there's some issues when they land. And I, I don't want to go into any detail about that. But I want to ask you, if you would, those of you that are night owls like me, if you're still up around midnight, late Tuesday night, I want you to pray at 1155 specifically for our partners in South Asia. And I want you to pray that the Lord would just take them right through where they need to go and that everything would be smooth and they'd get home safely. If you can't stay up that late, then before you go to bed that night, you can pray for them. But I, I'm telling you, uh, they need our prayers. They need our prayers, and uh, if not us, then who? So you pray for them Tuesday night. Father, we love you and serve you, and our our hearts are full of what you're doing. Lord, and sometimes we wonder why you've chosen to use us. 
or why you've chosen this church to do such great things, Lord. And we're reminded of the truth when you tell us over and over that it's not in our power, but it's in yours. In our weakness, Lord, your strength is made perfect. And so we continue to trust you, Lord. We continue to walk down the path of faithfulness and obedience. We continue to seek your will, and we ask you to do great things through us. May 2016 be the most incredible year we've ever experienced because of you. Father, be with us as we open the truth of your word today. Speak very clearly to us. May we be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. We are back in Genesis. It's been a few weeks. We took a little time off for Christmas and then for me to preach on discipleship last Sunday morning. And so I thought it'd be good for us to review very quickly where we've been and and really look at big picture because big picture is important for us. We certainly want to think about details and the specifics of the text and, and the stories that we find throughout Genesis. But, but even more importantly than the individual stories is kind of the big picture. And so I want to think about big picture again this morning. You may remember that we've been studying for a while about the life of Abraham and his faithfulness and the Lord's call on his life. And we've seen that the Lord has done pretty incredible things through him. And, and we saw that one of the incredible things the Lord did was the birth of his son Isaac. You may remember that Sarah was very old and Abraham was very old and neither one of them really believed they could have a son, but God was faithful to them. He blessed them. He gave them Isaac. And through Isaac, the promise is going to be passed. And so big picture here now. We've got God promising Abraham. We've got Abraham through the birth of his son Isaac now promising Isaac. Isaac was, was taken up on top of the mountain. You remember when God tested Abraham and told Abraham to sacrifice his son. And, and, and the Bible literally tells us as, as he drew the knife back, God told him to wait. And he provided a sacrifice. And it was just a reminder again in the life of Abraham of, of not only the power and the glory of the Lord, but that God had a plan to provide for Abraham. And to take care of Abraham. And it's a picture looking centuries ahead to Messiah that would one day come. But Abraham gets older, as of course we understand, and will eventually die. And in that process, he's now passed the blessing along to his son Isaac. Isaac has gotten married to Rebekah. And then the last thing we studied in Genesis chapter 25 was the birth of the two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Now, it's important for us to remember, let me just remind you of this, and we'll see again in our text this morning. Even though Esau was born first, God has chosen to use Jacob. Right? Big picture here. Messiah is coming. The line has come through Abraham and now Isaac. Isaac has two sons. Who's God going to use? God chooses, instead of using Esau, who's the firstborn, God says, I'm going to use Jacob. And so we've got this picture of the line of Christ now coming through Jacob. And so we left off with these two boys. They'd been born, and Esau had come in from the hunt. He was hungry, and he agreed to sell his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. We talked about the implications of that, and we stopped before Christmas at that point. And so we're going to pick up this morning in Genesis chapter 26. And and the way I kind of want to do this is I want to summarize 26 And to spend most of our time in 27. And really the the point of 26, and we're going to see this a a lot in 27 as well. But the point in 26 is just to remind us again of the blessings of the Lord. 
It's to remind us of the promise of the Lord. It's to remind us that God has said to Abraham and to Isaac and eventually to Jacob that I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this promise. I'm going to be with you. And so we're going to see that on several different occasions. I'm going to read a few verses out of 26. We'll summarize and move on. Look at 26 verse 1. The Bible tells us, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And you remember there was a moment in the, in the very beginning part of the call on the life of Abraham where a famine occurred. Abraham didn't fully trust the Lord. You remember the account? And he goes down to Egypt. And we remember what he does. He lies about his wife, Sarah. This is going to kind of play itself out again in chapter 26. So the Bible says there's a famine in the land besides the famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will. Now I want you to notice over the next few verses how many times the Lord says, I will, and how many times the Lord promises to do things. Stay in the land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. Verse 4, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I require of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So God is saying to Isaac, listen, I promise this to your dad. I've given him the blessing. I've given him the promise. This promise now is going to be conferred to you. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to promise you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you. Now skip down to verse 24. Genesis 26, 24, again, a reminder of the blessing. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Now, verse 28, the very beginning, as other people noticed and they begin to see how the Lord was working, they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Now, there's this theme in Genesis 26 of the blessing of the Lord. Okay, it's, it's, it's continued and, and passed on from Abraham. Now it's passed on to Isaac. And now God has reminded Isaac in chapter 26, I am with you. I will be with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. Now, if we take a step back before we get into 27, if we take a step back and we say, here's a man who had already seen the power of the Lord working in his father, Abraham. This is a man who'd already seen the power of the Lord working in his own life. I mean, the story of his, of, his, of his marriage to Rebecca is pretty powerful. We studied that several weeks ago. This is a man now who's seen the Lord work and has been promised over and over and over again that God's going to provide for him, God's going to take care of him, God's going to lead him, God's going to direct him. So we would expect, at least from our vantage point, We would expect a man who trusts the Lord, who's going to walk faithfully with the Lord, who's going to do everything the Lord's called him to do. Very simple, right? Let's put a nice, neat little bow on it and everybody will be happy. That's not at all what happens. Flip to chapter 27. Now, I'm not going to give you the entire story yet. We'll work through this. But I want to give you a reference that many of you will understand and will kind of put this thing into context. 
Chapter 27 is very similar to something you would have seen on Jerry Springer several years ago. You know the reference? Now, if you're under the age of about, what, 20, I don't know, 18, you're like, Jerry who? Right? So don't look it up on Google, okay? Trust me. But this was a show of a guy who brought dysfunctional families on, and you pretty much got to hear their stories and kind of see all their dirty laundry aired before national TV. Chapter 27 is a biblical example of Jerry Springer. It's a family in complete dysfunction. You've got a man who we've seen in chapter 26 has been told by the Lord, listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. And in 27, we see a family that lies and cheats and steals. We see brother against brother. We see husband against wife. We see a very bad dysfunctional family. You say, that's the bad news, I guess. What's the good news? Here's the good news. And this is a theme that runs throughout this story. Even in the midst of all these problems, God is still going to display his glory. Now, some of you came this morning with some, I don't want to use the phrase Jerry Springer stories, but you've got some bad issues in your life. Some of you are dealing with family stuff. Some of you are dealing with stuff at work. Maybe you've got a personal issue going on. And, and maybe you even came to church this morning pretty disheartened and not really sure, sure the Lord could speak to you or say anything to you. I want you to take comfort in this truth that you're going to see all through this passage of Scripture in chapter 27. God is going to use even sinful people to do great things. You understand that? Even if your life is a train wreck, God can still redeem that. So chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. So when Abraham was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and he said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now here's truth number one and we're going to see kind of the pattern with Rebecca and the sons here in just a few minutes. But truth number one, Isaac, who's the father, he's the husband, acts in opposition to God's will. Isaac is going to act in direct opposition to to the will of God. Now, let's be sure we understand kind of the underlying theme here. I don't want there to be any confusion. Remember, when Jacob and Esau were born, they're twins. Esau is the older brother. And so, kind of traditionally, the older brother is the one who receives the blessing. And so we would expect, based on what we know about tradition and even things we've seen in other places in Scripture, we would expect the blessing of the Lord from Abraham to Isaac to go to Esau because he's the oldest but even before these boys were born, you may remember the story. The Bible tells us that Rebecca, the mother, kind of sensed that they were almost fighting in the womb as if they were battling together. And so she goes to the Lord. Genesis 25, 22, and 23. Listen. The children struggled together within her. And she said, this is Rebecca talking. If it is thus, why is it happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, we don't understand why the Lord did this. 
We don't understand his calling. We're not very clear on the decision that he made. But the simple fact of the matter is that God has chosen to use Jacob and to bless Jacob and for the line of Christ to go through Jacob instead of Esau. Now, here's why this is important. Rebecca and Isaac would have known exactly this was the Lord's plan. There wouldn't have been any confusion because the Lord had been very clear to them. Jacob is going to be the son that I'm going to use. So when Isaac in his old age calls his son Esau and says, I want to bless you. I want to give you the blessing. What he's trying to do is kind of usurp the authority and the power of the Lord. And he's saying, listen, God, I know you've got this plan, but I'd rather do it this way. I know you've got this idea, Lord, but I'm going to try to change that and stop your will. Now, fast forward a few centuries to today. I wonder how many of us have ever made a decision without consulting the will of the Lord. You ever done that? Or let's take it a step farther. Maybe you've consulted the will of the Lord and you've kind of thought through it and prayed through it, but you don't really like what the Lord's told you to do. And so you've decided you're going to kind of go do your own thing, right? Maybe the scriptures are clear to you. Maybe you've spent some time studying God's word and, and God's word is very clear. And you know how you're supposed to respond. You know the biblical answer. You know how the Lord's kind of called you scripturally to answer. But you've kind of made this decision. You're not really going to follow the will of the Lord. You're going to kind of figure it out yourself. And I just wonder, and we're kind of watching this play out in the scripture. I just wonder how many train wrecks of a life, so to speak, have occurred because people have chosen not to follow the will of the Lord. See, here's the thing about God's will. It may not always be easy to understand, but it's always right. It may not necessarily make complete sense to you, but it's always best. And I just wonder how lives would be different in our lives and in the lives of the people around us if we would just spend time not only seeking God's will, but choosing to follow his will. Because God's will in this passage of scripture has been very clear. Isaac would have understood the blessing should go through Jacob, not through Esau. Now this was a big deal to a family. We don't do this anymore. I guess most families don't do it. There's not this sense anymore of kind of conferring or giving the blessing to the next heir, to the oldest son, or whatever that might look like. We don't do that in our society much anymore, so it's hard for us to understand. But back then, in biblical times, this would have been a big deal. This would have been something the whole family would have been a part of. This would have been kind of a ceremony. It was an important event for the, for the, for the father and especially for the son because now he's kind of passing on the lineage and the heritage of the family for the son to carry it out. And it would have been something that would have been done in public for all to see. And so we kind of get a, a glimpse into the heart of Isaac there in verse 4. Look at what he says. He calls his son. He says, look, I want you to go hunt. Get something good for me in the field. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat. And then it's almost, I just, this is Adam's interpretation. But it's almost like he kind of whispered in so that, I, so that I can bless you before I die. Right? He kind of acts like he wants a nice meal. And he's kind of swinging it like that. And he's kind of spinning it like that. I want you to go give me something good to eat. I'm about to die and I'd love this good food. All the time his intent was what? To bless this son. See, he knew how Rebekah would have responded. He certainly knew how Jacob would have responded. 
He knew what this meant for his family. He knew this wasn't the will of God. So instead of seeking the Lord and instead of doing this in public like he should have done, he decided to hide it. Son, I want you to go get me something good to eat. Bring it back. We'll eat it. And then while we're together alone, I'm going to confer the blessing upon you. Now, here's a, a solid piece of wisdom. If you ever want to do something and you don't want anybody else to find out that you did it, it's probably wrong. <laughs> right, if you ever kind of make a decision and you think, you know, I want to do that, but I don't want anybody to find out about it. Men, when you make a decision and you, one of your thoughts is, I don't think I want my wife to know. It's probably a bad decision. Wives, when you make a decision, you think, you know, I don't really think I want my husband to know. Maybe not the best decision. See, the Bible actually talks about this in John chapter 3. Listen to the words, verses 20 and 21. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. See that word there? But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So Isaac's got this plan, this secret plan. He knows it's sinful. He doesn't want anybody to find out about it. He knows God's will. But he, for whatever reason, has kind of made this decision. He's going to set aside the will of the Lord and kind of do his own thing. He's going to call his oldest son in Esau. He's going to bless Esau instead. Now we pick up the story. This is important because there's something Isaac doesn't know. Look at verse 5 of chapter 27. Genesis 27, 5. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. None of y'all have ever listened to something you weren't supposed to hear, have you? You ever done that? When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob. Now, let me, let me just pause real quick. Make sure we understand the, the kind of the alliances here, right? We've got Isaac and Esau have kind of lied together now. Now we've got Rebekah and Jacob. So Rebecca overhears this. She hears what's about to happen. She knows Jacob is the rightful heir. So she calls to her son Jacob in verse 6. Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessings in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock. Bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessings before he dies. Right? So she's kind of hatched this plan. We're going to trick dear old dad. We're going to disguise you and send you in and make him think it's your brother. And you're going to give him what he wants. Verse 11. So Jacob said to Rachel, excuse me, to Rebecca, his mother. But my brother Esau is a hairy man. Well, I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and he got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca, now it gets even, it's, it's, it's even a little deeper. It's more than just preparing the food. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau. Her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on the younger son, Jacob. I could just see, if this were some sort of a reality television show, and she goes in this guy's closet and steals his clothes, I could just hear the people groaning, oh, that is pretty low. She goes and takes Esau's clothes, gives it to Jacob, verse 16. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skin. 
Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she'd made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done this as you told me. Right. So Jacob now enters the plot. He's decided to lie. He's decided to take up the story of his mother. He's got the food. He's got the goat skin literally on his neck and his hands. He's wearing his brother's clothes. He's lying to his old father who can't even see. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, right? So he's thinking, I just talked to you a little while ago. How did you go out in the field, hunt an animal, cook it, bring it to me? How did this happen so fast? Look at the response of Jacob. The Lord your God gave me success. See that? He blames it on the Lord. Verse 21. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so I may give you my blessing. So Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. Now, let's stop there for a second. Let's make point number two. We've already seen the the sinfulness of Isaac. We've seen Isaac's desire to make his own decisions outside of the will of God. But here's truth number two. Rebecca now is going to sin by deceiving Isaac. Rebecca is going to sin by deceiving Isaac. Now, here's the interesting thing about what Rebecca does. Rebecca kind of has the right idea here. Right? Rebecca understands that Jacob is called by the Lord. Rebecca knows that Jacob is the rightful heir. Rebecca knows that the Lord wants to bless Jacob and that the blessing should go through Jacob. But she begins to understand that Isaac's about to do something she doesn't like. He's about to kind of step into this and, and mess things up. And so although her goal of having her son Jacob is correct, she has the wrong approach to doing it, right? It's kind of like she's got the right idea and she takes the wrong approach to making it happen. One scholar explained it like this. The strategy of Rebecca was deplorably wicked. It displayed the foolish supposition that God's sovereign designs needed the assistance of or could be helped by human craft. In other words, she thought, Lord, you've called this to happen. This is your will. I know you want to bless Jacob, but I don't really trust you enough to do it. And I just wonder how often we live our lives like that. God, I know you've said this. I know you've called me to do this. I know this is your will. I know you've promised this. I know you're going to work in this situation. But Lord, I, I, I just don't know that I trust you enough to do it. And so because of her failure of trust, because she didn't have enough faith in the Lord, she decides she's going to enter in. So she's got the, the right idea, but she's got the wrong actions. And I, I just wonder how many people make the same mistake in life. Right idea, this is what I want to do, but how I get there may not quite be as biblical or as right as it should be. See, the ends don't always justify the means. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm just curious. Has anybody in here ever done something they regretted? 
Anybody? Yeah? Probably all of us had our hands up, right? Did you ever do anything in high school you regretted? Yeah? A couple of you, once or twice. I'll never forget when I was in high school. I kind of did something bad. So prepare yourself. If you're recording, I want to video this or take good notes. Now's your time. I had kind of walked through a whole semester not being the good student I should have been. I know none of you have ever experienced that, right? You've never made that mistake. But I kind of walked through this whole semester of school not doing what I should. I really didn't pay attention like I should. I didn't study enough. I, I'd not done enough homework. And so we get kind of to the end of the semester, and the semester exam is kind of right around the corner. And I begin to realize I'm in no way prepared to take this semester exam. And so I did what everybody else does. I tried to cram for a few days ahead of time. You ever cram for a semester exam? Not a lot of fun. And at some point during that process, I realized there is no possible way I'm going to pass this exam. And so I had the right goal in mind, right? This is, there's a redeeming part of this story. I'm getting to the bad stuff here in just a second, right? I had the right goal in mind. I wanted to do really well on this test. And so at some point in my 10th grade mind, it made sense to me to cheat on this test. That's what I decided to do. Right? It's not who we were, it's what we've become. Amen, right? I just want to be clear about that up front. And so I cheated. And man, I, as far as cheating goes, I knocked it out of the park. I mean, I had all the answers. I was cool when I took the test. Nobody knew anything about it. I, 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 I aced it. I mean, I got every question right. I even got some of the bonus questions right. Amazing, right? And I'm, I'm just, I thought I was just the stuff, right? I thought I just kind of nailed this, right? Sin always finds you later, right? And by the way, cheating is wrong. I'm just, I'm getting to that point. It always sounds cool, and you think you've done the right thing, and then it comes back to bite you at some point later. Everything was cool until about three days later. What I didn't know is that the teacher knew there were two other guys with me that did it. I wasn't alone. We kind of co-conspired together. And the teacher had known through the semester that we maybe weren't as studious as we should have been. And so when we all turned in this just incredible final exam, she began to ask questions. Mm, really? Is this really what happened? So she began to delve and talk. She went and talked to the principal. So they called us to the office. Long story short, we got caught. And if you've ever failed a semester exam, you know what that means. You fail the class. So I had a 10th grade English class, second semester that I failed. That meant the beginning of the 11th grade year, the whole first semester, I took 10th grade English with a bunch of 10th graders. Now, for a junior, that's real cool. And I'm in now with sophomores, and I'm taking the sophomore class. Very glamorous, very classy, right? So proud. What a proud moment for me. Now, I look back on that moment, and I think to myself, what an idiot. I mean, why didn't I just spend the time studying, right? I'm a little more mature now, and I understand right from wrong a little bit. But in my mind, at that point, it made sense. And see, that's, that's the problem with sin if we're not careful. We, we see something we want, and it may even be good. We, we may have good intentions out here. This is what we want to do, but we, we take the wrong steps to get there. And, and man, that, that same story is repeated all through our lives on a regular basis if we're not awfully careful, isn't it? Because we've got good intentions. We want to do the right thing. Rebecca had good intentions. She wanted Jacob to be blessed. After all, that was the will of God. But instead of trusting the Lord, instead of walking in faithfulness to the Lord, she instead stood in the way and said, Lord, if you're not going to fix this the way I want you to fix it, I'm going to fix it for myself. So the problem wasn't necessarily her intent. 
The problem was she took the wrong approach. And I just wonder, I wonder what would have happened. And again, this is just a, a picture of a, of a dysfunctional family. I just wonder why she never considered like going to her husband and talking about it. And why wouldn't she just go to him and say, look, this is what the Lord's called us to do. Why don't we just do this? This is the will of the Lord in our lives. Why don't we just trust him enough that this is what's going to happen and we're going to live our lives for his honor and glory? One writer kind of summarized it like this. It's difficult to discern who surpasses the rest in this web of scheming and deceit. Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, or Esau. The family unit has been split into two factions, each headed by a parent who wants to live out his own or her own expectations through the son at the expense of the others. It is indeed a tragic story and yet one that rings true to life and reveals much of what we are today. So I I need to wind this down, but let's just summarize up to this point through about the first 25 or 26 verses. This is a massive failure within this family. Dad is sinful. He's not interested in following the will of God. So he kind of tries to take God's power and and change it. Mom is kind of snooping around and listening. And all of a sudden she's got the right intent. She lies about it. She tricks her husband. She causes her son to lie and to be deceptive. So we've got all these problems and all these mistakes and all these things that have gone wrong. But now look at verse 27. We're going to wind this down and we're going to see if you want to call it a silver lining. But again, just the picture of the Lord. So he went to him and he kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and he said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's riches and abundance of grain and new wine. Now verse 29 will be familiar. Some of you remember Genesis 12. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Here's truth number three. In the, in the midst of all these problems, the blessing is passed to Jacob. See, even in the midst of all this sin, the Lord's will is still done. God said, I'm going to bless Jacob. Jacob is the one I'm going to choose. He's the one I'm going to work through. And just like he blessed his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac, he now blesses Jacob. And if you look at that actual blessing there, I think in verse 29, you'll see that it's very similar to the same things God told Abraham originally. Great abundance. Nations are going to follow you. Those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. It's just a reminder and a picture of how the Lord works. Now, some of you are saying, now, wait a minute. And this is, this is an important kind of, just a, a point of theology I want to make. Some of you are saying, now, wait a minute. There's all this sin in these people's lives. How can the Lord still work through this sin? Because I thought the Lord separates himself from sin. I thought the Lord couldn't look at sin. Those things are true. But we see time and time again all through Scripture that God, we don't know how it works, still can use our sin to accomplish his will. You say, I don't don't know if I really believe that. What's another example? How about the crucifixion of Christ? Think about all the sin that took place during the crucifixion. The sin of the, 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 the religious leaders and the Roman leaders and the Roman soldiers and Pontius and the, the people themselves, the people who made the decision to crucify him, all the sin that took place, and yet God still chose to use this for his glory. Now, if you were to finish out the chapter, I'm not going to finish it this morning, but Esau gets word of this, he gets infuriated. He threatens to kill his brother Jacob. 
Jacob hears about it. He has to go into hiding. So he's now separated from his mom. And as far as we know, they never saw each other again in this life. So you've got a family that's kind of fractured because of sin and because of all the mistakes they've made and because they've just decided to do things themselves. It's just sin and sin and more sin and, and more mistakes. But here's the, maybe the silver lining. And here's the application. I'm going to finish with this. If you don't remember anything else this morning, I, I want you to remember this truth from this text. God doesn't call perfect people. You understand that? He uses broken, sinful people to accomplish his will. And no matter where you've been or even what you're doing now, God can still redeem that and he can still use you. And in the midst of great sin and suffering, God's will can still be accomplished for his honor. That's the point of this text is we bring him honor and glory for all he's done even in the midst of our great failures. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this truth. It's a difficult one to study, Lord, because it's not a pretty picture. We certainly see sin and mistakes, Father. And and I know for all of us that resonates on some level because we've all made mistakes. We've all got issues. Father, we all do things that we're not proud of. But we understand even in the midst of failure, you, you are still glorified. And so we worship you because of that. And our faith in you grows because we know you can use even the worst situations to still accomplish your will. So we're thankful, Father, that even when we're not, you're faithful. So give us the strength and the ability to seek you more and more. Do great things through us. And may you always receive honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for the next few minutes. The altar is open. Of course, you can pray. Discipleship sign up is down here. You could pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Some of you have never done that before. You can join the church. This is your time. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.